What's up everyone? Welcome to the Decan Show and this is a series called Legal-ish. It's a series where we talk about all the legal questions that we have or you may have and we do so every week with everyone's favorite lawyer, Ahmed Oda. Welcome to your tribe. Hey y'all, what's up everybody and welcome to another show of Legal-ish with our favorite lawyer of all time, Ahmed Oda. What's up Ahmed? Hey guys, how are you? All good, man. How's your week been, Reem? Hectic, but I'm happy we're here. And uh, yeah, it's been a good week in the world of Reem. Can't complain. And as usual, sipping on that green tea, I'll see you. <laughs> it is. It is. It's the only calming thing we've got right now. <laughs> well, hopefully the session, I mean, maybe calming for some, maybe not so much for others. We finna dig and see. All right. So here is what has been happening since our last catch up. According to Reuters, um, Arab Tech has terminated thousands of their workers again in recent weeks. Sources said as the construction firm is preparing for liquidation after the coronavirus pandemic depends its financial woes. So that is, I think, in some way anticipated. Am I wrong here? Like that they were going to be they're going to start letting go of people as they're processing, as they're moving further into the liquidation process. They've reached I mean, they've announced losses of upwards of 400 million dollars, I think. So that's, uh, yeah, this is the quickest way to cut your losses is to fire as many people as possible. And I think a lot of people might misunder- might think that, oh, because it's a big company, certain things like COVID are not, do not hit you as hard. Actually, the bigger you are, the harder you fall, you know? So their losses are, I mean, unfathomable for a lot of businesses when you're that big. So I think never underestimate the impacts of pandemics. Yeah. And anyway, when you terminate that many people, thousands of people, I mean, you have to pay off their gratuity and and of service, um, which could, uh, you know, I can't imagine how many, how many millions that is. And uh, when it comes to, when it comes to payouts, the first people that need to be paid before the banks, before the secured creditors are employees. However much those millions are, they're going to go. They're going to go to the employees first and the banks have probably even, you know, and, and, and the investors have prompted that those, um, um, that the staff are let go so that they can focus on actually paying off the creditors. I mean, it is the only, it's, it, you have to stop the hemorrhaging. That's pretty much it. I would not yeah. want to be in their shoes. I mean, those decisions are brutal. So I can, I can only imagine what they're going through. In other, in other news with Arab tech, um, these are, I mean, the headlines have not been great to them, but um, now they're saying that they might actually struggle to meet their end of November deadline that was shut that was set by the shareholders and we we spoke about previously, which kind of anticipated. The deadline was unreasonable. The deadline was unreasonable. That was it was like a four or five week deadline. It was hectic. I, I, I don't I didn't expect them to meet the deadline, but I do think it's just a matter of making sure that you do it as quickly as possible because clearly, the you know you got to stop the hemorrhaging that's the that's the motto of the entire thing isn't it to formally yes. submit liquidation plans to court i would suspect maybe it'd be somewhere somewhere maybe in the uh, the the first half of, of 2021 maybe like somewhere yeah. in february march it takes time to to come to uh, even you know despite the fact that they've all decided to to, to liquidate, it's not just as easy as okay. Well, here are the liquidation plans, guys. You know, let's let's get going. It's 
Mm. A lot of other factors come into play in third party influences. Right. Madness. It's quite arduous. And, yeah. And again, like it's, it's the size of the business. I mean, just collecting documents alone <laughs> is <laughs> like you, you got to have a whole department dedicated to just collecting the right documents and getting it in the right order, organizing things down, dated, just to prepare and begin a liquidation process. I mean, my goodness, yo, crazy. And in another P, in another uh, report, which I feel like I should have mentioned this one second, but felt like breaking it up a little bit. Um, they were saying that another report that spoke about the financial woes of Arab tech also said that necessary, quote unquote, necessary legal procedures have been taken to guarantee the rights and dues of its staff. So that's a different line about the same case of letting their employees go. So here's a question. What if they don't have the money to pay the dues of the staff? Because I know that's on everyone's mind. What if they don't have the money to pay off whatever is owed to the staff? Like what happens then? Then whatever assets that they have, immovable or movable, have to be liquidated to cover uh, the, the, uh, uh, the rights of the staff over and above any other rights. So... It's always the case that anything, you know, in a, in a, when it comes to liquidation, the, you know, if you can imagine like it's sort of a pot and everybody wants to put their, their hand in that pot. Um, but, but there's a sort of the, um, the caretaker, the undertaker, you could say in this case, who is the liquidator and the liquidator would say, no, I'm sorry, guys, no one's going to be able to touch this pot. The first thing that's going to, you know, if, if any money goes in, the first people who are going to take that money are the employees. And then after, after we, we finish all the employees, then we can start talking about the other rights of secured creditors. And if there's anything left, we'll, we'll divide it accordingly on a, you know, the basis. So uh, if the employees have rights and, the, and, that, and the, the company doesn't have money, then they'll just have to wait it out. They'll have to wait out as long as, as, long as they can until they receive their dues. So that could be, you know, yeah, it could be years even. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll keep our ears to the ground and keep you guys posted with everything Arab tech as the story progresses. Indeed. Um, so let's move on to listener questions because we have quite a few today. Um, the first one is uh, one person says we've moved into a rented villa and the company that my landlord hired to maintain uh, the work has not done anything at all. The main door locks don't work, amongst other things. There have been a number of messages where they admit that they're in the wrong. What is the correct course of action renters like me can take? So the core of the question, I guess, is that it's the landlord has hired one of those maintenance companies to just kind of do the work around the house, and they don't they didn't seem to meet the baseline um, requirements for the renter. Can the what department can the renter do anything? Okay, in uh typical lease agreements, there is a condition or a term that specifies exactly at what point does the main, is the maintenance, um, the, the burden of the maintenance on the lessor and after, after which it goes on to the lessee, you know, to the, to the tenant. So let's say, uh, they, the, the lease agreement specifies that minor, um, maintenance issues such as fixing of light bulbs or, uh, plumbing or like, uh, like what they say, main door locks not working. In ex, uh, under the, um, the 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 cumulative amount that is under five hundred dirhams or a thousand dirhams shall be borne by the uh, by the tenant or the lessee. Then in that case, the tenant has to has to undertake to 
uh, to pay off all the maintenance uh, fees. But if it's something bigger than that, so like, you know, you have to, there's a, there's an, you know, an AC overhaul or a massive, uh, um, you know, there's a, I don't know, a, a hole in the wall that needs to be fixed and it costs, let's say 2,000, 5,000 terms. No, that should be um, the burden of the, of the landlord. So it sounds like, or what it reads, reads as in the question is, it's not, it's all minor, minor maintenance issues. So if the landlord hired the maintenance and it was part of the contract, that the landlord should have should hire the maintenance company to do so, then yeah, the the onus is on the landlord to, to rectify that. And what's the avenue? What avenue can the renter pursue um, to get to have their rights, you know, recognized? Because I think right now there is seem to be stuck. They don't know where to go. Usually, what we what we recommend is a tenant goes off and and hires their own maintenance company, fixes the issue, gets and and makes the payment towards the rectification, and then submits that payment to the landlord for their. Um, for them to compensate the tenant accordingly. But if the landlord refuses to do that, then they have to go to a rental dispute committee and so on. Okay. So that's the, the quick fix, uh, which is not the best, you know, course of action to take because, you know, you're, you're going to be spending out of pocket to, to fix it. Yeah, because I think that that was one of the things that this, usually people don't say that the maintenance company admitted that they were in the wrong. Yeah, but I mean, again, the question set is not very clear. I mean, they say they admit they are wrong. Is it the maintenance company or the landlord? It's not, you know, it's not very clear. <laughs> so uh, it has to be the landlord that should admit that, you know, that, that yes, this issue has not been rectified and it has to be fixed and so on. Otherwise, the landlord could easily dismiss, uh, uh, you know, an invoice from another maintenance company. So let's, you know, hope that they can try to negotiate their way with the landlord to fix this issue. All right, second question. This was an interesting one. So question two, I went for some Botox at a place that seemed reputable. However, I began to see some terrible side effects. I went to the emergency and they said that the plastic surgeon has, has used a low quality Botox. What are my rights? No, it's no secret that aesthetic clinics in, in Dubai and in in, in all the UAE are big business. It's a huge industry. Um, and, uh, God knows how many thousands of, uh, clinics are there in Dubai and, and, um, and the rest of the UAE. So this is something that is already a regulated practice with the DHA and, and with other, with other ministries. And, uh, there are avenues in which, which a, a patient can take in the event of any medical malpractice. Okay. Um, but if this patient said that, you know, went to, went to emergency in the, in the, um, and they, the emergency said that the plastic surgeon has used low quality Botox. What I would advise the first thing they do is they go to another aesthetic clinic and get a report from them as to exactly what was what you know what was the the damage that was caused as a result of the incident and all that stuff, right? Because going to an emergency at a hospital doesn't read. I mean, and for a doctor just to say, oh, you you know, the um, uh, the last. Uh, uh, you, you know, your doctor used low quality Botox is not necessarily, you know, bona fide t- type of, you know, action that you could take uh, against uh, a clinic. You have to go to another clinic and get a, get a report from them. They could, they could do further analysis on this situation. And then you could see compensation accordingly. Okay. Uh, you, but the, the, the compensation for just, you know, something as simple as, you know, using low quality Botox because, you know, and, and getting an adverse reaction, it might not be that big. You could file a complaint with the, the the DHA, 
right? So that's uh, Dubai Health, is, uh, what's it called, DHA. You know, and you're just basically citing basically medical malpractice. Um, but no money is going to go into your pocket because of that complaint. It's not like they're going to do that. Unless you use that complaint as kind of, you know, like an arm twisting mechanism to, you know, seek financial comp- To settle outside. To settle outside, yes. Yeah. Right? Um, for whatever financial figure that may be. So based on the question, it could be low quality Botox or it could be just an adverse reaction or whatever it could, you know, whatever that reaction, um, you know, that, that side effect could be, who knows? So the right steps for this person are that, well, first off, the emergency uh, feedback might not necessarily be valid. You should go to a different plastic surgeon, get a report from them, right? And what are the side effects on what happened? And you take that and file a report with the DHA. And if you're trying to squeeze some cash out of them, try to do it outside of court. Yeah. I mean, or you could just, you know, you could go back to the to the clinic directly and ask and tell them, guys, you messed up. You know, what are you going to, how are you going to compensate me for this? Right. Even that you, you have to be very careful with your, with your wording because you cannot threaten any company in the, in the UAE for financial compensation like that. You have to go through the relevant authority to do that. Yeah, and there's a legal system that has been put in place for that that you could follow. Clear. All right, Reams, all you. All right, so this is a long one, but it's a good one. Okay, so this is from uh, actually a Redditor, so someone on Reddit. Uh, He said, I seek your insight into the problem I'm facing right now. We haven't been paid our salaries for three months. We're a team of six to seven people. And recently we got to know that our employer has fled the country. He hasn't communicated anything to us, and we got to know about this from our boss, so I'm assuming it's their supervisor that's in the company. Ours is a small team, and the salary delay has been going on since the start of 2020. And uh, so they had salary cuts in March as a result of COVID, but then it's the situation deteriorated to now they're going to office, but there's no pay. And some projects are still continuing, but they're not actually getting compensated. And he said that uh, uh, he he's thinking of going to the ministry, but is concerned that if he goes to the ministry, it will affect future job prospects or will affect his position altogether in the UAE. So he's asking uh, him and the six to seven people that are in the company are currently asking, what can they do? The person is writing extremely upset. So there's a lot of like, emotion when in fact it's really it is it is that yeah it is that the owner is bankrupt he has left the country and has clearly left a team of six to seven people with no understanding of what's going to happen and they haven't been paid for three months they should all go to uh the 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 mohre the the ministry of labor immediately and file a complaint there's nothing else that they could do uh and filing a complaint would you know would result in um in the company's trade license being um, being basically attached, right? They'll just put they'll put a lien on the trade license, so uh, the the company won't be able to do any banking work or anything like that until until they pay out the salaries. But um, I'm kind of afraid that this is a, a little bit too late. If it's a services based company, then then you know they'll just have to wait until money hits the account from any receivables that they have, and that comp- and that money gets attached. But in order to do that, they should Im- like file immediately complaints, labor cases, get that done and like and out of the way so that they can get their dues from the company. Um, it's a it's a very tricky situation because they're all working in the company. 
if they don't, if they stop working and then there'll be no business, if there's no business, they won't get any receivables and therefore no money. So it's a catch 22 type of deal. Now, I don't know if the business has assets as any movable or removable assets. And that would have, that would really, really help. Uh, because if it's, um, if that's the case, then they'll just have to play the waiting game, sell off the assets and which would take months, maybe. And they need to be compensated. Yeah, that's going to be very challenging. So what happens if, for example, the trade license expires and they it doesn't get renewed and they still have their visas attached to this trade license? Because it seems like this has been happening since March and many trade licenses, you have to renew them every year and we're coming up on December. So what recourse do they have if this is the case, if, if uh, the trade license expires and they're stuck on this visa? No, it's fine. I mean, if they file labor cases, they're they're permitted to uh, uh, you know renew their visas um, until they find new jobs. Okay, yeah. So you won't be you know necessarily you know, you won't have to get kicked out just of you know get kicked out of the country and get deported just because you're you know the trade license your company's expired and you have dues. If you have dues, you're you're entitled to stay in the country. So long as your case is not finished. So so long as you haven't if you haven't received your dues, you're um, no matter how long the case takes, you're entitled to stay. But I mean, uh, typically what, what employees would do is that they will find a new job and then transfer their visa over there and, and you know, continue with, that, with the labor cases in the court. So that's not going to, uh, you know, prevent them from still getting their rights. I hope that answers their question. I know it's a tough one. One more from my end. So the question reads, my boyfriend and I are not married. And I think that I may be pregnant. If this is the case, what are my options? If you remember, yes, if you remember the last episode, they didn't, the new law didn't mention anything about what happens if unmarried couples actually conceive. And I wonder if they're going to make note of that, if they're going to allow um, conceptions and, and um, you know, to, to take place under, you know, under this new law without, without any issues. Because as it stands today, yes, if you... If you conceive a baby while unmarried in the UAE, you could be subject to some, you know, uh, some criminal punishments. Okay. And not that this is quite often. It doesn't happen often because the people know that this is a, that this is illegal. So what eventually the couples end up doing, or one of them, at least, you know, the woman would just, you know, travel back to her home country, have the baby and uh, declare the baby as, you know, having you know, been sort of basically single, being a single mom, and then coming back here, right? Um, but it's there's also some complication with that because, yeah, the, the, the ministries here would like to know who the father is and, and so on. So it is, what, what I tend to find is that a lot of couples eventually get up, get, get married during this time, and then they get the, the they, they give birth to the baby outside the country, and then the father is declared, declared, you know, to be, to be the um, the father of the child and the person you're living with, and then they get back here, yeah. But uh, so the short answer is, it's fine if you're pregnant. Then just go and, and deliver the baby abroad if you guys are willing, you know, willing to to get married uh, to each other during this time. It's okay, but just um, it's not likely that the ministry of the, the, the ministry of health is going to accept the baby having been having been conceived outside out of wedlock. Even even after you get married during this you know the nine month uh, period. 
but it's also an indication of how the legal landscape is changing because obviously last week we spoke about you know an opening of uh you know freedoms for in 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 cohabitation but the questions of you know conceiving and you know uh being a single parent or not those are still not answered as the law change is changing and shifting you know as we're speaking so we'll keep you guys updated right and for next week i thought we'll talk about some of the most popular business activities that set up in the in the country and not only that but you know we'll we'll sort of compare those business activities to the maybe let's say top 5 or top 3 free zones uh, and areas in which you can set up those uh, those activities that so we can sort of shed light on this because I don't know about you guys, but recently I've been, you know, just swamped with the 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 level of uh, um, uncertainty about people just not knowing exactly where to set up, how to set up uh, uh, companies, and uh, because it's just way too much. We're there right now. Like we're always between between us. There's always I'm looking for specific places to open specific businesses, and it is very exhausting. W- where can we set up the license? Where can we set up our offices? What are the requirements? Like, and even though, even though we've been in it for a while, we still require a refresher every time because even then it's like, oh, what, what is new? What has been updated? What's a better decision for us? What's, and you're always battling between, you obviously want to be center market. Like you want to be in the city, you want to be in Dubai, but then, but what are my fees like and finding a cost-effective solution? So like, these are constant questions we're always tackling ourselves. And I think that'll be great to have it, um, to have an episode dedicated to that. Yeah. And can we have a conversation as well about the tech space? Because when we started our businesses, uh, you know, a few years ago, the tech space looked completely different. So if you can just kind of make sure that we have a discussion about, you know, if you have a tech business, where would you, you know, because it is I, a lot of those trade licenses were not available two or three years ago. They're literally brand new. So it's worth the conversation, I think. Good one. Absolutely. Well, this is what we have for you guys this week. Thank you for tuning in to the Can Show Legal-ish. Mm-hmm. We'll be back next week with the man himself, Ahmed Oda, and of course, Miss Reem, the Empress. Hey. Do send us all your legal <laughs> questions. <The Duchess. laughs> Do send us all your legal questions to hello at thecanmedia.com or as usual, slide in the DMs, yo. We're always here. And as always, we promise to keep it anonymous. Take care, guys. Stay safe. Play by the law. Play by the book. Peace. Thank you. Thank you for kicking it with us today. I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode as much as we enjoyed creating it for you. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast at to stay up to date with all our conversations. Also, if you don't mind, hit us with the five-star rating, leave a comment, let us know how you feel about the show. That way, it could also help others find the show. And be sure to share it with your friends and family, whoever you think can benefit from it. You can holler at us on all social media platforms at The Can Show. We'd love to hear from you. Or you could drop us an email to hello at thecanmedia.com. Salam.